We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. My name is Jari Bolander. Welcome to the Entrepreneur Ethos Podcast. On this podcast, we're going to take a deep dive into the traits, values, beliefs, and skills of all sorts of entrepreneurs to learn how to build a more ethical, inclusive, and resilient world. Let's get started. Hey, everyone. As always, stay tuned to the end of the interview where I'll give you some actionable insights that I learned from my guest. These insights are also in the show notes, and all of the show notes are over at theentrepreneurethos.com. Thanks again for listening. Thanks for the tweets. Thanks for the ratings and reviews. Just, you know, thanks for everything. Now, on to my guest for today, Lucinda Jackson, a scientist and former corporate executive who found her calling in writing, speaking, and consulting. Lucinda has written two books based on the lessons she's learned in life. Her first book, Just a Girl, Growing Up Female and Ambitious, chronicles her experiences as a female scientist and corporate executive, where she often found herself the only woman in the room. The book includes advice for women on building self-confidence and how to navigate male-dominated fields, but it also includes her thoughts on raising boys. She has three sons. Lucinda's second book, or more likely forthcoming book, <laughs> is called Project Escape came out of her experiences with her husband building a business in winemaking, joining the Peace Corps in Micronesia, and becoming science teachers in Mexico. Lucinda decided then she wanted to have her own business, and her first book was the launching point for that. Lucinda provides a lot of insight into the various roads she's traveled, including the importance of figuring out your core values. Now, whenever she's presented with an opportunity, she asks, does this meet my core values? Not one for missing any opportunity to learn. She also credits her success to the skills and discipline she developed while working in corporations. Now, let's get better together. Lucinda Jackson, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Jari. Great to be here. Well, I really appreciate you coming on the show. We met through Brooke Warner and the She Writes Press group, which is the absolute most fantastic group of people I've ever presented to. And I'm so happy to be part of her other thing, which is Spark Press. Um, she's 
she she's going to help me publish my memoir and i'm just over the moon because it's just such a great group of people love brooke like i can't say any, i can't say enough great things about brooke and you know you you're an author a business executive a scientist you've written a book called just a girl growing up female ambitious you got another book coming out you've just got all this great stuff going on you you quit corporate started your own business like 4 or 5 years ago so you're like you're pretty much the authorpreneur, entrepreneur, the whole package, right? So uh, uh, before we, but before we dive into all that, which I'm really curious to hear about, uh, like I always like to say, why don't you uh, tell us how you got to do what you're doing today? Well, I was trained as a scientist and then I got involved in corporate world for four decades. I was in, with a bunch of different Fortune 500 companies and I was in um chemicals and oil and gas, so a very um, in, you know, industrial, male-oriented business. And um, I always felt a little different when I was there. I was, um, in most all of my jobs, I was the first female ever to have that job. And I was often the only female in the room of 500 guys. Um, I used to kind of think of myself as a poodle among um Round dogs because I know you're an engineer. <laughs> but there are a lot of engineers. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, when I was in engineering school, and this was in the '90s, early '90s. I mean, I don't know, five, ten percent of our class was female. I mean, I was electrical engineering, so right. a little bit different. The that was around the time that they had they started having it computer science as just its own discipline because um, used to be electrical engineering, computer science, and they switched off because. The computer scientist guys couldn't handle the fields and waves. <laughs> um, just kidding. But uh, but yeah, it was yeah. It, it, back then, and, and you know, it just wasn't something that women got into. But now, and didn't like a lot of guys have brown hair, like slicked down and <laughs> yes, and blue shirts and yeah, with this frizzy blonde hair, and <laughs> never, I never fit in. You definitely uh, stood out in the crowd for sure. Oh, you got to tell me I had Democrat hair. Oh, Democrat. Oh, burn. Wow. Wow. Dad. Um, so anyway, um, then, um, well, I was still kind of working, but thinking about what I, like I said, I always felt different. I always had um, a lot of ideas. Um, I kind of, I like to be on the forefront of stuff. Like one example, and, um, I was, I wanted the company, the last company I worked for to be more sustainable. I'm an environmental scientist and uh, the CEO didn't want me to use the word sustainable. He did, well, disallowed me to use that word. And now this same company has a VP of sustainability. So I was like out there in the forefront, but and always like kind of getting shut down and they're saying, no, we don't need to be sustainable or no, we don't need a wind farm. And these are the kind of things I was pushing, you know, renewables and stuff like that. And so I was always felt a little out of it. <laughs> Didn't totally fit in. And um, during this time, um, my husband and I decided to start a winery. So we um, ran this winery and we learned a ton from that. Um, we About being entrepreneurs, we um, completely got caught up in the um, allure <laughs> of the business and it just seemed so romantic, you know, to have a winery. And we pictured sipping and friends and and we started the business and found out that it's um, really 99% marketing. 
is, and my husband's a winemaker. So we were in there for the wine and the product. And it's really a hospitality services business. Exactly. Yeah. So we did not fit because he's a scientist too. And we were really into the grapes and the wine and didn't realize that's what it was all about. So tons, ton, learned a ton from that failure, big failure, ended up in a lawsuit. We also joined it with friends who yeah. are no longer our friends. Classic, right? That's so sad. Why that's have so we seen that? It's hard because I think what someone said, yeah, you want to make a million dollars in the wine business, start off with 10 million. (laughs) We knew that. Well, but, you know, what's interesting is that like, you know, I I mean, I I see your point. Like it's it's interesting. So this is the whole passion versus, you know, oh, I'm passionate about this, but should it really be a business? And, you know, you know, you kind of learn that the hard way, but this is a lot of times you hear this so constantly. So really wonderful that you've sort of shared that because uh, sometimes it's not all sunny in startup land, you know? And, and he and I are not the type to host a, a wedding or, a, you know, a big yeah. party. I and mean, then that's the, that's what you do in the wine business. So yeah. Yeah. We, didn't, we didn't fit in that either. And then, um, and then I, then I decided um, I, w- I really want to leave the corporate world and just, you know, that was at least got my toe in. And I want, I really liked I really like that freedom, as you said. Um, and um, I decided, though I wasn't quite ready for a big a big business again because of the failure with the winery, and I decided we should join the Peace Corps. So we were oh, really? 66 years old. Wow. <laughs> and we, we joined the Peace Corps, and we went to the island nation of Palau. Mm-hmm. And um, it turned out to be a huge bust, and um, they, the – the Peace Corps was in the process of shutting down the Peace Corps after 60 years in um, the Western Pacific Ocean into um, uh, Micronesia. And we were the last class and they, they were kind of let us come even and we didn't know all this until we got there and it was completely disorganized and in disarray and we had no money. Um, they really underestimated how much money to give us and we were poor, poor, poor. And, you know, I had, spirit like I, I it was just like two weeks after I left the corporate world when I had been like driven in a limo to the airport and dropped off at first class you know that faux business corporate rich thing you, you had to get into yeah it's addictive rich, but, you know they were really corporations yeah and um and then the next you know two weeks later you, you can't drive and you're in the Peace Corps and so I'm you know like having to hike to work in a hundred percent humidity and jumping off the road because nobody in Palau walks. It's one of those cultures where you only poor people walk or like the Bangladeshi that come there to do the agricultural work and I'm jumping, jumping off the side of the road into a ditch, sewer ditch with mud squishing up through my flip-flops. And that was my, my next phase, but I learned a ton of humility as you can imagine, I got over any ego thing I had about corporate life. And um, it was actually super interesting. And uh, my, my second book, uh, the one that's this Project Escape, Lessons for Unscripted Life, the one that is coming out in April, it's about that transition from oh wow, ego, identity, money marriage of a full-time career to full-time like free time yeah all the impacts that has on people's relationships and their how they feel about themselves and their purpose and 
you know, I went through all that stuff of like, what's my purpose? What, who am I? You know, who was, I used to be somebody now I'm nobody <laughs> and learned a lot from that, that journey. And when that failed, then we decided to go to <laughs> Mexico. It's the, I, I, my, my jujitsu instructor calls, there's the winner in the learner, not the failure. It's the learner. <laughs> So a shout out to Tim. Yeah, it's like learning a lot today. <laughs> I love then it. We, then we went to Mexico and we um, decided to teach science in schools uh, in Mexico, like um, elementary to high school level. Because he's a chemist and I'm a biologist. And we, we speak rudimentary Spanish, but they let us in their schools. They were happy to have some people that could teach science. They don't have very science teachers in these little, little towns, you know? Right. Right. And, um, and um, we loved it. I mean, we, we set our own schedule. We, you know, felt um, respected. Uh, we got a lot of attention. I mean, it was great for our egos. <laughs> the kids are so rewarding. And that's when I started feeling that real feel of like, I want my own business. I want to run my own thing. And so I wrote my first book while we, I was in Mexico, which is called Just a Girl Growing Up Female Ambitious. And it's about the whole corporate life of, of, of sexism and harassment that I experienced from the 1950s up till the present day. Mm-hmm. And the, the, you know, a girl wanting to be a scientist was not a cool thing back then. I mean, you, you're told you can't be a girl's right. So it's about that. And it, um, that got me saying, I'm going to start this as a business. I'm going to treat this as a business. I'm going to, so I started my own business and I call it LJ Ventures so that I could do anything I wanted. (laughs) And now it it involves um, speaking, which I love to do Um, consulting. I still do um, science consulting, environmental consulting, which is very satisfying for me. And then my books. Um, So it's a combination of writing still doing some science, um, speaking and, and consulting and who knows what I'm going to add next. But, um, I, I like, I thought like I found my place. I feel like I've blossomed. <laughs> yeah. Well, what, what does that feel like? Blossoming. No, no, no. I mean, what, what does that feel like? Because I, you know, I talk with a lot of young entrepreneurs and usually in the tech space, you know, and usually the motivation is I just, oh, I want to go build a unicorn. I want to get rich or whatever. And, you know, I was telling them like, this is not a job you get rich at. I get a full stop. Very rare, very rare. You do it because it's an independent life that completes you. And I'm curious what it feels like now. I mean, your, your career, I mean, talk about a wonderful like backdrop for, you know, I have now chosen entrepreneurship to finally feel comfortable, whatever the words you, I would, what are those, what are those feelings like? It completes me. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Wow. That's great. Uh, well, you know, um, what I finally did was I, I well, I took a, a, pro, a project management process that I used a lot to um, from um, developing major capital projects in the oil and gas industry. Okay. Use that process on myself to, to figure out myself and what I needed. And I, what they do in the process phase one is where you identify needs. So identified, I know you talk about this in one of one of your books. Um, 
my core values. Yes. Core and values. I really got clear on my core values and I dug and dug and it's painful. You know, you kind of have to. It is. <laughs> shit it about is. yourself. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes you're not, you're not the greatest person in the world, even to yourself. Yeah. And they've morphed. And now I have five of them. Oh, okay. And I use those to, as criteria. So if I'm going to take something on, I look back to my core values and say, does, do these, does this meet like the majority of my core values? And if it doesn't, it's like red flag, red flag. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause like the Peace Corps, I started this in Peace Corps and none of my core values are being met with that Peace Corps um, assignment. Oh, interesting. And so. Wow. Okay. Now I guess what, what I'm to get back to your question. Um, How's it feel? I feel like I'm what I'm doing now. I'm meeting my core values, but I'm doing it with intention. I even have a scorecard, you know, to to say like, uh oh, it's I, I use a simple. I don't try to develop metrics like I did in the corporate world. I I just do like a red, green, yellow, uh-huh. like you know, like like one of mine is is authentic self. Mm-hmm. Like I wasn't really ever able to be my authentic self in the corporate world, and there's a lot of fakery that goes on. Oh yeah. Um, now right. I get to be myself, but I, I watch things. And if I'm getting into something where I'm starting to feel like it's not me or mm-hmm. I can't really, I have to act a little differently or somebody's too aggressive and I have to get back into that corporate like sparring. Then I go and I give it a yellow, you know, like watch this. And then it turns into a red. I'm going like, no, I'm going to, and I, I have quit things now that I've got myself into based on, I'm not meeting my core criteria. So interesting. Do you, do you mind sharing your core values? I'd love to hear them. Oh yeah. The, um, the first one is noble purpose. <laughs> uh, it sounds corny, but I'm, I've always been idealistic and I guess that's why I got into environmental stuff and into helping women and minorities in, in the workplace. That's a lot, a lot of what I do now. And um, so it has to have something that makes me feel like I'm helping the world and in a, in, a, in a bigger sense, too, it, it can't just be like one little thing, like I picked up some litter at a park. I'd rather do something where I help the park develop a litter pro- pickup program. <laughs> so, right. The, the more the systematic approach. Yeah. yeah leverage. 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 Yeah. Love that. Yeah. And the second one is authentic self, which I mentioned. And then the third one is ad- adventure and freedom. Super important to me. I love, like, love to learn, want I want to do new things. If I find myself doing the same old thing, like I, I, I could do this in my sleep. And I'm like, I'm not learning anything new. I, don't, I shouldn't continue. Like going to meetings, if it involves going to meetings, I can't do it. I, Jari, I can't. I, I went to too many meetings. Uh, <laughs> high five. <laughs> high five. You really like, like meetings. Oh, my, my motto is the best meetings, the one that got canceled. <laughs> so good. Yeah. And it, don't get me wrong. Like, look, I have to have them, yeah. have to have them. But if you're thinking this, e- this meeting could have been an email, you're having too many meetings. Exactly. Exactly. And you go off topic and there's no agenda and on and just, I just go nuts. Anyway, so it's that one. And then um, the fourth one is valued. i that was one took me a while to get to, but I admitted that I really need to feel valued. And if, if I'm not being treated right, or don't feel respected. It's just, 
this is not good. <laughs> not good for me. And then the last one, um, which I added, um, the last is uh, romance. And for me, it the, and the romance means with my husband, who I adore. And um, when we had three kids and both working corporate jobs with big commutes, you know, we lived like parallel lives. And this this is an opportunity for us to spend really great. We've like revived our, our love life. And it's just, and I don't want to mess that up. <laughs> so every, anything I choose to do, I want it to involve him, uh, give us time to, to have adventures and closeness together. And that real, you know, not just like dinner once every six months. I mean, some sustainable, wonderful time together. And that's super important to me. That's it. Uh, wow. Questions, I mean, comments? <laughs> well, no, I'm, I'm blown away, to be honest. I mean, um, my fiance now, Minerva, she has a similar kind of framework that she does hmm. where she's got, she, she has like categories of her life and she's really like very, very intentional about like, where does this match my values? And it, it's really interesting because core values are one of those things for people and for your company and what you want to do that are so important as sort of a litmus test for, is this, should I spend my valuable time on this? Which is the way I always think about it. And I love, I love the fact that this is, you know, noble purpose, authentic self, adventure, freedom, being valued. And then the romance, the personal side, the life partner, are we growing? Like it's it's beautiful. And you know, as, as young people, sometimes like younger people, you know, they're more focused on those external things, right? Like, oh, I, I don't know what I don't know, right? I mean, and they don't. Like when I was young, same with you, I was ambitious, had all of these traits. I thought that success was a certain way. And then you live a little, mm-hmm. you have some tragedy, you have some struggle, you go through a catastrophic trauma, like, you know, my wife died you start to realize that, boy, I had it all mixed up. And it's just beautiful that like you, you know, cause we need to talk more about this. And I think the reason why we need to talk more about it is not only for your own personal core values, but also your experience in the corporate world, what you wrote about in, in your book, uh, just a girl about boys and men liberation and really trying to change the narrative of that, because it's something I'm really interested in mm-hmm. because when I went through the grief and sorrow and trauma of losing my partner as a man, I felt alone and there was some weird stuff. I'm like, this, this is treated differently. Right. Or a woman. Exactly. And, and, and so, right. And so, but this is the thing I really love about like, as a society, like if we all had, I mean, and these are these core values, right. A core value is similar to this. We really do need to change the narrative on a lot of different things. And, 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 and I love that you sort of reinvention is sort of this like cliche word, but you know, you finally found something that completes you after learning a lot of things and willing to share it. How, I mean, how, how do you, how would others like go through the, I mean, I guess the, what I'm trying to say is how can the young folk short circuit the pain and suffering? <laughs> 
get to these core values. I mean, you know, I got some gray in the beard. I've been around a while. I mean, you know, you know, this is look, this is crazy Uncle Jari and you know Aunt Lucinda telling you some like speaking some truth here, guys. Like we need, we're here to help. How, how do we do this? How, how do we like have those conversations that are so powerful yet in a way that people like listen? Because I feel sometimes we talk over each other, we kind of yell at each other. Everyone thinks they know everything, which they don't. I mean, I know I don't know everything. That's like fundamental. So what do you think? Well, what, what I do like to t- tell young people is that, well, you can't avoid any of the, the pain and sorrow and don't because it's damn interesting. And the more you can embrace it. And so something horrible happens, you know, and you go, okay, okay, wow, you know, this is life. I mean, I am living life. And you, you learn a ton. You do. It took me a long time to get there, but when bad things happen to me, I'm still like, okay, all right, I can, I can do this. You know, this is, I'm going to learn. This is interesting. So, you know, you don't, can't run away from it. So embrace it. (laughs) Well, yeah. I mean, I'm glad you brought that up because it's hard. It's hard. Yeah. I remember someone asking me or there was this one, someone said, what good came out of Jane dying? Right. Right. And that sounds like the dumbest question ever. Right. Because you know, when you're in the acute phases of grief and sorrow, it is the dumb, you like, really, you, you, you want to throw down, like, you know, as a, as a, someone that's suffering, all you want to do is lash out like, no, right. Yes. But as time goes on and you sort of have that perspective to your point, which is like, okay, I have to set back this mate. What can I learn from it? I like the part that like, you find it interesting, which is an, like an interesting way to bring about it. But I knew that I had kind of processed everything when I could answer that question. Hmm. Not that I'm ever going to, it's ever going to go away, but I can move through it in a way where I can live my values, which, which, you know, are, uh, you know, these are pretty good. <laughs> For, what are your core values? Well, I mean, I would say, I would say, you know, noble purpose. Yeah. I, that's very much a good one. Um, I'm really high on being valued and trusted. Like I have a hard time when people are like challenge my integrity. Like, are you kidding me? Really? Yeah. Huh? Right. What? Oh yeah. Right. Same thing. Right. So you're like, I, I, what part of me says that I'm some weird person that's going to screw you? I'm not like, but I, but I had to, yeah. a lot of therapy went through, went in working on that, which I still have to work on. Right. Um, freedom is important. Adventure and learning. Yeah pretty much. Um, yeah. Romance. I'd love to have more romance and a little bit more, you know, connection that way. Um, and then the authentic self one's a very interesting one because I think through the noble purpose and being valued, I think that shows up and that valued part is the authentic self kind of forcing itself out. But the other thought part about being valued is like, you know what? Some people you just can't reach. No. Eh. <laughs> right. And so it's just, just again, this is so fascinating because I think as entrepreneurs, you know, I mean, as your scientist, I'm an engineer by training. We really do have to think of these things because we as we as entrepreneurs are actually given a pretty 
um, substantial role in society. Like mm-hmm. they give us a lot of slack to like build stuff and fail. And we're like, yeah, go for it, whatever, you know, you know, like we, we actually have a moral obligation to treat that with respect. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think this gets back to like what you did in the book, um, you know, you're just a girl book and talking about these sexual harassment specifically and other, you know, things that are not building an inclusive and resilient world. And I, I would love to talk a little bit more about that and how that sort of shapes how you're applying that to entrepreneurship. Because again, one of the things that I'm really passionate about, I'm not exactly sure how I'm going to do this because it's a, you know, it's a bold thing, but um, I feel I have to help build better men. Well, thank boys. you for doing that. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm, and, and the reason is, is because I think a lot of the suffering in the world and a lot of the challenges and struggles is because I don't, I, I agree with you. I don't think men and boys are liberated to be who they are. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think just like there's toxic masculinity as an example, there has to be a corollary. There has to be the opposite of that. Yes. What is that? What is that? Right. Mm-hmm. So I know we're probably getting and, a little off track with the entrepreneur stuff, but like, I think this is important because the majority of entrepreneurs are men, men yeah. unfortunately, 80%, more than 80% of all the funding goes to men, women, minority entrepreneurs are even, you know, they're the 1% of the 1%. I say that you're the, like the golden unicorns. Cause like, wow, there's one of you. Oh, oh my gosh. You know? So how do we use this? What you've learned, what you've written about? I mean, you have three boys, you know, you've raised, raised men, they're men now. How, how do we take that and put this, you know, build this more ethical, inclusive world? And, and I think it's through entrepreneurship, but like, what are your thoughts? Like, how, how do we weave that in? Well, I think um, like I have a lot of tips in my Just a Girl book and, and for women. And I think it really applies to women entrepreneurs because it's, I really, I had like no confidence mm. and and girls today, fortunately, have a lot more confidence than I did. But I grew up in a world that was no, 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 no to women. You're not worth it. You're what are you thinking? And, you know, a lot of put downs. And so um, to be a woman entrepreneur, as you said, there's not too many of them. So you really need I would recommend following some of the tips in my book, which is like how to get the floor, how to say what you have to say, how not to be interrupted, how to you know present your ideas how to show up, how to get a seat at the table, but still be a nice person, you know, because I don't want, I hate it in, in with women turning into men. And every time I turn on the TV and there's like another woman warrior with a, an AK-47, I just go, what the heck is this? It's like the opposite of what I want. I want to see the men <laughs> holding babies. And so um, yeah. that's, that's my, my platform. And I think, um, especially for women entrepreneurs, it's super important to, to learn, um, you know, how, how to get, get your confidence. And I have a lot of tips because I I went through that for years and years of from somebody with no confidence to somebody who now has a reasonable amount. I mean, I still get my bouts of (laughs) self doubt. Oh yeah. You know, know, as right, as writers, the dark night of the soul. (laughs) So I think that's, you know, super important. And, um, and like I said, I did devote a whole chapter in my book to the um, raising boys, raising liberated boys and talking about BAML, the boys and men liberation movement, my, my own acronym. But um, 
I did raise three wonderful men that are loving and successful and, you know, they're not, um, you know, wimpy or anything. I mean, yeah. they're, they're kind, wonderful, powerful men. And I'm so mm-hmm. proud of them. And mm-hmm. I think it, um, you know, I'd love to teach more people how to do that because there's definitely ways to do it. It's not just like it wasn't a fluke, right? I was conscious about it. Yeah. And, and, you know, what's interesting is that history, um, it, you know, it has never always been sort of this way with, with, you know, we're in a modern kind of era of, of a different kind of ethos when it comes to male masculinity. I mean, you know, I always like to hearken back to sort of the intellectual, the poet, the poet warrior type ethos where, you know, there is obviously it's kind of outdated in a sense that, you know, there was definitely like different roles, but, um, and this back way back, even the Shogun era and the samurai and all that, I mean, again, take, take out the kind of the misogyny aside, right. Because uh, that need is that needs to change, but the, the whole point of the whole person and the whole, like, yes, I can do this martial art. I can show violence, but I can also control my violence. I can do poetry. You know, I, I can, I can be this intellectual that realizes that strength is in knowledge and compassion and all these sort of things. Again, modernize. Like, of course, we don't want to go to the Shogun era, but, but there's a lot. To, it's really interesting to learn about these sort of things because, you know, even in like Victorian Europe, you know, the, again, there's fundamental societal things, but men had a little like they could. I mean, when you looked at how they dressed up, it was different. I mean, it was different. And again, I'm butchering it. And of course, not all, again, not taking all of that. Of course, there's clearly, but, but there's, there's sort of models to do that. And I love the fact that it's like a powerful, compassionate man, well, you know, I'm looking for a leader for Bamel. <laughs> maybe you could do this or you're it well i don't well I, i'm very <laughs> i am i'm very honored that you would even think of me because that's a very important thing you know I, I i appreciate that and of course we can have further discussions on that uh outside then, the book another thing i would just say is that um this thing about finding your core values i do cover that in my second book the project escape um which is the title there is about escaping from the corporate structure Mm-hmm. And and going to a more unscripted life and, and escaping also from the um, identity that I associated with yeah in a really tight structured competitive yeah. you know industry for so many years so in in that book I do give people tips about how to how to find your core values and you know how to how to define them because it's hard people say things like well travels my my core value. And I go, well, no, that's not. And they go, oh, yeah, it is. I said, no, because a core value has a, it's sustainable and it has a lot of possibilities of being satisfied. So if you pick travel as a core value, COVID hits, you can't travel. Well, you're toast because that's, you say that's a core value and you can't do it. Well, I mean, that's, that seems like a tactic for the, the, uh, the strategic core value of freedom and yeah. adventure, right? Yeah, I mean, if core values, then you can, if it's like learning is what you love about tra- travel, then you yeah. take learning and then you look at all the alternatives of how to satisfy that. And right. Palette is why travel may be one, but you can't travel right now. So you learn from maybe reading, you learn from, right. you know, some, a new, making a new friend. I mean, 
There's all kinds of ways to do it. And so yeah. people get boxed in with that core value thing. And it's been very interesting um, talking to people about it and, and, and trying to get them to go to it. <laughs> well, I mean, I think, I think it's the same thing with wants and needs, right? You know, as authors, you know, every, all of our protagonists have got wants external and needs internal. And usually people are very good at saying what their wants are but they're really poor at understanding their core internal need. And I think this is where your core values come in, right? Like, oh, I love to travel. Well, what's your really core value of that is adventure and learning or whatever it is. But yeah. You got to, you got to ask like the question, like, you know, you were in engineering. Yeah. Yes. You got to ask the, yeah, yeah. You got to ask the five whys to get down to the real core, right? Like, yeah. and those of you that are really engineering nerdy, you will appreciate that, <laughs> you know? Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's just a fascinating thing because I, I really, I agree with your premise, right? It's, you know, I was talking with uh, Stephanie Slocum. Um, I interviewed her over at Engineers Rising, and she's all about empowering women in engineering, right? I mean, the same exact story that you've talked about and all of it. I mean, my guess is like the exact same, like challenges, struggles, massage, like the whole thing, right? Um it was I interesting. Her name. I want to talk to her. Oh yeah, Steph, I'll introduce you because she's she's awesome. She's so so wonderful. She wrote a book and the whole thing. You know, really trying to what she's trying to do is empower women to be more in. You know, like hey, if you want to be in STEM and you want to be an engineer, like this is how you can navigate that and confidence. Like because again, her her take on it was exactly the same. If you are the only one in a room, it's hard to. St- speak up. And if you're in an environment where it's like competitive and engineering is generally, they're not very sociable. I mean, broadly, (laughs) I'm sorry if I offend anyone, but it's true. You self-select into that for a reason. You're not going into marketing. You went to engineering for a reason, right? You're an introvert or whatever, right? Or highly functional introvert like I am. Um, But like you self-selected into it because it's safe and oh, it's data, it's physics, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. And and the softer side of it, which what's interesting about engineering management is typically they will take the, oh, successful engineer and try to make them a manager. And it's a disaster. (laughs) Same thing with scientists, right? It's like, it is is not the same skill set. This None is of them a good even want to be managers. They, oh. they never fill the jobs. Like, no, I don't want to be a manager. No, 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 no. The same thing for like as entrepreneurs, right? Technical founder gets it to a certain point and it's like, well, I can, you can't know. There's a definite skill set. And it does have to do with being in touch with the emotional side and knowing that yeah. humans are messy, we're emotional, we're irrational. It ain't like, an algorithm, right? Um, and her 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 premise is: Look, I've done this. I can teach you how to do it. So, you know, she's got a bunch. Of, really, honestly, she's just such was such a wonderful interview. Um, you know, one other point I wanted to make was a pitch for it was for older people. Um, we t- you talked about what's advice for younger people, but for older people, I mean, people always say think like, "Well, am I too old to do this?" Mm-hmm. But my I like to turn that around and and kind of bust stereotypes and say, "Am I too young to do this?" Mm. anybody at any age you say am i too mm. young which would mean like i don't really know enough about business yet i don't really know myself i can't figure out my core value. maybe i'm too young to start this so you're are you too young and and i, like I, I have found something like 
really satisfying about having my own business at this age, which is um, people assume that I'm doing nothing. And they'll see me and say, oh, you're retired. You know, what are you, what are you doing? Are you traveling, playing golf? And, and I say, um, no, I have my own business. And I can't tell you how good that makes me feel <laughs> because I've blown their stereotype. And I, and then I go, oh, and then there's a new conversation, you know, rather than talking about a cruise or something, at least we're talking about something interesting to, to me. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, so I just want to encourage at any age. Am yeah. I too young? <laughs> I love that. I love that. No, I mean, you know, the average age of like a founder of a startup, venture back startup is like 40. Right. Because you kind of, if depending on if you're venture back, obviously you got to have some experience to know what you're doing. But I like that. I like that. Are you young? Are you, know, are you too young? And too young, quote unquote, may not be years young, but young in the process. And I have found that, you know, my experience in business and having hundreds of employees and, you know, all of the stuff I did um, is so great for being an entrepreneur. I mean, I know if I had to, I could run a meeting. <laughs> but I don't like to, <laughs> but no. no, I know how to set metrics. I know how to set goals. I know how to, um, you know, monitor for success. I know how to have a vision and all these things that, you know, I learned on somebody else's time and their time. I mean, and I got paid for it. So, you know, I, there's ways to get, that's why I liked your business book, um, Jari, because it, um, you said you don't have to go to business school, but you need to have those, business skills. And, and I, I got them in the corporate world and I, I thank them for that. Yeah. That's what I always tell authors. You know. I can tell people who don't have any business skills. I right. see, I can see them, even if they're entrepreneurs, I can see them. Oh yeah. It's it, it, budgeting. It, I mean, just basic stuff. Well, yeah. Basics. Like th this is the thing, like, that's why, you know, the book that she's referring to is called business basics for entrepreneurs. Yeah. You kind of got to know the language of it. Or you're going to get into trouble really quick, right? And I always say when you know people that I know that have been entrepreneurs after they've left corporate, I'm going to go, well, you know, the corporate folks, they know the right way to do it. So learn the right way so then you can figure out, oh, I don't want to do it that way. Or I'm going to cut this corner like the meeting thing. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to do it my own way. But you know, like, like you said, like, which is great. Like I know how to budget. I know how to set goals. Super important. Basic stuff. Doesn't take much to learn. Not that hard, honestly. It's pretty intuitive, but it's a it's a discipline, and it you know it it makes or breaks your company. It's like the operating system of of entrepreneurship is has to be foundational business skills, not just like creation. I mean, which is fine. Like I always say, we're the creatives of the business world. But I mean, like with authors, entrepreneurs, it's the same thing. You got to know a little bit. Of, you may hate it, and you'd be like, "Jari, I do not want to be a." business person. It's like a bad word. It's like being a salesperson. It's the S word. Ugh. Sorry. I knew a little bit. You got to know what you got to know, right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I love that you say the word discipline. People ask me about being an author, being an author, like what's the key to being an author and getting a book published? I always say discipline. And I learned it in the corporate world. I had, I had a schedule, you know, I had deadlines to meet. I knew how to put the nose to the grindstone. I learned that from, you know, if you don't meet your, your 
metrics, you're, you don't get your bonus. <laughs> and I learned a lot of stuff. So yeah, this is, and that people don't like to hear that because it's, well, they like, like, what's your passion and all that. And that's, you need that, but the, the, the passion doesn't, doesn't, that doesn't sustain the dark night of the soul. It's the discipline. It's the, actually, I always say it's the blue collar work to get up at five 30 in the morning and actually write for half an hour. Yeah. Or, <laughs> well, I, I do sometimes. Well, I'm, I'm a, well, I'm an early bird. I love, I love getting up. Like I love to attack the day, you know, like, um, but so I get up at 10 and then I stay up till one. <laughs> well, you're guys. different. You well, know, it's my new life, right? Well, yeah, but <laughs> I mean, like, I can do whatever I want. Well, that's true. And what's interesting is, you know, in, in our tribe as a tribe, like you need guys like me, gals like you and others to be like, okay, you take the early shift, you take the late shift, <laughs> but make sure no one's going to kill us. Like, yeah. eh, you know, it's the beauty of it. You know, it's really beauty. Well, yeah, it's just been such a great conversation, uh, Lucinda. I just so appreciate you and love, love what you're trying to do. Love the energy of like the core value, just inspirational. So thank you so much for being on the show. I remember, I'm so glad again, every, t- every time I meet someone from Brooks tribe, whatever we want to call it, I'm just, I'm just always blown away. So well, likewise, it. likewise, really enjoyed this conversation. And I, I'm going to, I want you to be the head of BAML. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll work on that. We'll, we'll figure out how we can help each other for sure. Thanks again. Thank you so much, Lucinda, for being on the show. I really enjoyed our conversation. What a great uh, uh, life you've had to date and only going to get better, it seems. So now, as promised, here are the actionable insights that I learned from my interview with Lucinda. Lucinda says one of the key moves she made when becoming an entrepreneur was figuring out her core values, whether it's for yourself or your company or even better, both. These values will provide a compass to keep you on track and help get you where you want to go. In fact, I mean, we actually discussed this a lot, which I thought was just so fantastic. So definitely ask yourself, what do you stand for? What are your core values and how those core values intersect with what you're trying to build? I think that's really important. That comes down to what we always talk about with your why, that internal reason, you know, and love the core value discussion. Just so spot on. Treat everything bad or good as a learning experience. Lucinda credits her years in the corporate world as valuable for teaching her a process she now applies to her own businesses. When bad things happen, she tries to figure out what the lesson is. And (laughs) this is hard. (laughs) I try to do that a lot. But I think it's a really valuable insight because bad things are going to happen. Like, I mean, you cannot live in the bubble. Like, you just have to ask yourself, all right, this happened. What can I learn from this experience? How can I get better? How can I move on? How can I help my team? Really is very powerful to sort of have this sort of idea that you're always learning. So there you have it. The actionable insights that I learned from my awesome interview with Lucinda. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Entrepreneur Ethos Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did creating it. My hope is that you learned something that can make you a little bit better. If you enjoyed the podcast, please do share it with friends and review it on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can also join my email list 
by visiting theentrepreneurethos.com to get my thoughts on what I'm doing to get better, as well as what I'm working on. You can also pick up my book, The Entrepreneur Ethos, if you want to learn the traits, values, and beliefs that I think we need to build a more ethical, inclusive, and resilient entrepreneur, and frankly, world community. Feel free to follow me on Twitter at The Daily MBA, and let me know if you have any questions or recommendations for a guest you'd like me to talk to. Also, drop me a note if you try anything we talked about on this or any other episode. I'd love to hear what's working for you. Until next time, keep getting better. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.